entering the Freedom Hut. President Trump visits Ohio. He visits El Paso, Texas. He has opposition from Democrats, of course, who don't really want this president to try and help heal the nation. Also, Joaquin Castro's list of Trump supporters is out there, and some important people in the media are defending this doxing. We'll get into that, plus more on the China trade war with the U.S. coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One Make, Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I think I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. It's both clear language and in code. This president has fanned the flames of white supremacy in this nation. His low energy, vacant-eyed mouthing of the words written for him, condemning white supremacists this week, I don't believe fooled anyone at home or abroad. His energetic embrace, the energetic embrace of this president by the darkest hearts and most hate-filled minds in this country say it all. We have a problem with this rising tide of supremacy, white supremacy in America. And we have a president who encourages and emboldens it. Biden may be number one in the polls, but he also may be the dumbest of all the presidential candidates on the Democrat side. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Oh, you mean that Trump doesn't matter what he says? Doesn't matter what the president says about white supremacists now? Now, now they don't believe his words. We've gone from, oh, my gosh, his words are so terrible. Why are they so bad to, oh, well, the words that he says are good, but they're not his words. They were written for him. He doesn't mean them. These people are dishonest or they're crazy. There is no third option. We're long past there there to be some uh, good faith way to describe the opposition the Democrats have to this president based upon their claims of him being a white nationalist and a racist and all these other horrible things you know what's really happening here folks they don't have russia anymore they got used to that russia was their little their little political safety blanket you know kept them kept them feeling safe and warm they're oh well maybe trump is doing well with the economy and yeah hillary lost and but he didn't really win and he's going to get pushed out of office because he's a traitor He worked with Putin. He stole the election. This is what they were telling themselves for two years. A lot of help from the media. Deep staters running around saying this stuff. They don't have Russia anymore. They don't have that one line excuse for the political failures of their party and the political success of Trump. They they can't just dismiss it all with, oh, Russia, Russia, Russia. So what happens now? Now that that won't stick anymore. Now it's racism. Now it's white nationalism. Once again. By the way, when this fades, I think that they will turn back to Trump is crazy and should be removed from office by the 25th Amendment. They'll they'll try that again. Trust me. Just in time for, you know, the election year. And then if that fades, they'll have some lunatic perhaps come forward to suggest that Trump assaulted her 30 years ago in a department store. And then that will collapse just like it did the last time. And then when that fades, guess what? They'll say, oh, but, you know, he really did obstruct justice. And we'll be back to a version of the Russia. This is Trump derangement syndrome. It's like they're walking around 
muttering things to themselves. Well, they're actually screaming it, of course, but they can't get out of this loop. This self-justifying, self-righteous, sanctimonious delusion of the president is the worst human being to have ever occupied the Oval Office. I mean, they'll even say that President Trump is the most racist president since the Civil War. Which just shows that they don't know their history at all, because, I mean, Woodrow Wilson was a real racist. He was actually racist. Um, But they and, you know, FDR obviously sent Japanese Americans into real internment camps. But libs don't trouble themselves with real history, with knowing what actually happened. They just make it up as they go along, apparently. But why are they so excited also politically by this opportunity? They, They want one narrative, but they want a narrative that shuts down everything. They want a nuclear option talking point, just blah. You know, any any time you try to have a discussion about health care or taxes or the economy, they say Russia, Trump's a traitor. That had been their go to. Now it's racism. And oh, by the way, Trump is a white nationalist. This is also the way that they try to get control of all political conversation because they're now in favor of truncating the First Amendment. Now, you're seeing this. You're seeing this. They want to limit the... If you Does anyone really think that if you advocate... If we were to concede here, oh, you know what, Trump's rhetoric, it is, it is racist, and he has said all these terrible racist things and all this, would anyone really think that after that, when someone like me would go out in public and say, you know, this, the situation at our border is unacceptable, you have... Uh, a a tremendous number of non-English speaking, uh, uneducated individuals breaking our laws. It's going to be a drain on resources. Does anyone think that libs will wait, hesitate at all before saying, well, that's racist. And if they can shut down speech claiming that it's white nationalist, guess what? They can just start to claim any speech they don't like. Sounds a little bit like white nationalism to them. And so they want to shut that down, too. They're making a case now about censorship. They want to use this 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 illusion of a great rise of white nationalism, which is an illusion. There is white nationalism, but it's not the threat they pretend it is. Just like there is climate change, but it doesn't matter and it's not a big deal. White nationalism is a minor, a minor ideological strain in America that they inflate because of what it does for them politically. They're the good guys, the libs, the Democrats, the left. They're the good guys fighting the scourge of white nationalism. It's real, but it's not as not as big a a challenge, a strategic threat as they say it is. But they want to inflate this. Why? Well, here's an example of why America's most famous liberal paper is now openly arguing on its editorial pages to truncate the First Amendment. And who's going to get to decide what the limitations on the First Amendment content limitations are going to be? Well, that's right, libs. And what are they doing? They're pointing to the El Paso shooting as, quote, reviving the free speech debate. Europe has limits. Let's go with the European model. This is abandoning the First Amendment. What is one of the biggest things in our law that separates us from Europe? The First Amendment. They don't have a real First Amendment. They don't have real freedom of speech. They have very politically determined limitations on it. Here's something from this piece, for example. Incitement to hatred is a crime in Germany that refers to any form of violence or defamation against parts of the population, including assaults on human dignity. 
The law is often used to punish acts that in the United States would be protected by the First Amendment, such as denial of the Holocaust or promoting far right ideology, end quote. Promoting far right ideology would be a criminal offense. And they're thinking this is the New York Times writing, you know, maybe we should just outlaw it. Maybe we should outlaw far right. I mean, they, they have major publications have referred to true white nationalists in the same paragraph in the same sentence as just mainstream conservatives they'll just pick them they'll they'll put them in their article and say see this is this person you know jordan peterson is you know liked by white national supporter just a slander a total slander we're going to let them determine what the limits of free speech are so remember they seize this opportunity right now they are opportunistically shaming conservatives for something we have nothing to do with that is not you know that is not based on this is not based on conservative ideology we do not support any of the ideas that these two shooters are putting forward we're i know by the way they're more complicated in terms of the insanity the particular brand of insanity in both el paso and dayton than we were initially led to believe certainly in the case of dayton Oh, there's a lot of complexity. There are guys an Antifa supporting anti cop hating leftist who likes Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Hmm. That's that's a bit of a oh, but we don't know if politics was his motivation. OK, sure. That's very convenient. This article goes on to say, even in the United States, First Amendment protections, while vast, are not without any restriction. Journalists, for instance, must routinely work in the bounds of libel and defamation and as the famous example goes, people are not necessarily free to falsely yell fire in a crowded theater. So apparently the New York Times publishes imbeciles. Well, we knew that beforehand. This is one of the this will not this line will not die. Don't yell fire in a crowded theater. That is taken from Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes's opinion. Just something that he happened to write in to the, U, the Supreme Court case of Shank v. U.S. back in 1919. Does anyone know what that case was about? It held, wrongly, it was later overturned by Brandenburg, that the defendant's speech was a clear and present danger. What was clear and present danger in the United States? What was he advocating for or advocating against? The draft in World War I. That's right. Handing out anti-draft pamphlets during the First World War was held by... The majority, including Holmes, who wrote that line to be a clear and present danger and the equivalent of yelling fire in a crowded theater, a, a, a public policy of extreme interest to individuals living in America at that time, locked him up in prison, locked him away. Does anybody really think? Does anybody really believe that Democrats want to have just good faith censorship powers? Only the worst white nationalists would be banned, not just from social media platforms, but have the force of law applied against them. Have the government take action against them. Just just the really bad white nationalists. They're calling the president of the United States a white nationalist. Joe Biden, top of the show, saying he's a racist, a white nationalist, all these things. They want to make all conservative ideology subject to, at their whim, being called white nationalist, white supremacist, and just shut it down. They just want to shut it down. They want, they want to slime everything with limited government, constitutionalism, Judeo-Christian values, you name it. They want to just throw all of that, everything that the right believes, broadly speaking, 
under this cloud of, well, you're all sort of tied to white supremacy now. So we're just going to tell you what you can and can't say. But we're going to be fair about it. Sure they are. Don't think that this isn't an opportunity that they're trying to seize right now. Even if they can't legally make these changes, even if they don't get laws passed, that would be in violation of the First Amendment. But, you know, clear and present danger, putting putting people in harm's way by saying, you know, maybe we should not just let the entire third world illegally migrate into America. Maybe maybe, maybe there's an issue with that, right? Oh, that sounds that sounds like white nationalism, really? Because does anyone look at the polling on what Latinos think of illegal immigration? Legal Latino immigrants to this country are opposed in large numbers to illegal immigration. Are they white nationalists? I'm just wondering. This is all this is all about political power now. There's nothing. It's not it's not about keeping people safe from guns for Democrats. This is just how do we formulate not just an effective opposition against Trump, but how do we shift the political landscape in the entire country? So that every person who wants to take a conservative position on any major public policy issue is subject to accusations of sympathy for or lack of condemnation of or you name whatever way they can try to just slime you with association with white nationalism. That's what they want to do. They want to keep you off balance. You know what this is really in part driven by? They've overused racism. They, they, you know, every opposition to Obama, who was president for eight years and, you know, huge, solid majorities of the American people voted for this guy both times. But we were always told any opposite. If you oppose Obamacare, you're a racist. If you oppose, you know, Obama's foreign policy, which was disastrous, you must be racist. Over time, people go, you know, I'm really sick of just being called the racist for no reason. And everything is now everything now that the left doesn't like, they'll just say is racist. Ah, oh, well, that lost its sting. So what are they doing now? They're replacing it with the much more ominous sounding, at least to our ears, because of the overuse of accusations of racism, white supremacy, white nationalist. Basically, you're a neo-Nazi. Think that, think that the Constitution means what it says. Think that the, the debt is too big and government's too large. And you must be a white nationalist. I mean, this is what we're heading for. Everybody knows that they that, that the left gratuitously and and just wantonly throws around the term racist now as a means of just going ad hominem and attacking people and making them feel like they can't engage in public discourse without risking their reputation. They they weaponize this concept of racism to include even even acts and this is explicit. You don't even have to do anything racist. You not, just by your very existence, you're part of a racist system. And if you disagree with that, well, then you're helping a racist system. So, you know, you're kind of a racist. And we've all become dizzy with this and we've all become sick of it. So what happens now? Now they're escalating the charge into something else. Now it's white nationalism. If you support Trump, you're a white nationalist. This is what they're saying. Folks, it is a massive power play. It is all rooted in dishonesty and exaggeration and bad faith. And we're not going to give in. How about that? Yeah, no, not there's there's no conceding of this point to them that we're going to change our ways on the right because we've created this huge problem. And Trump is no, sorry, uh-uh. the country's actually doing well, despite their wishes. Otherwise, 
Sure, there are still problems. We will address those problems, but we will not bend the knee to the left and allow them to determine the boundaries of acceptable debate and discourse. They don't get to shut down every idea they don't like because they will abuse that the instant they have the power. And you know it. We've got a lot more show. I'll be right back. So my critics are political people. They're trying to make points. In many cases, they're running for president and they're very low in the polls. Uh, A couple of them in particular, very low in the polls. If you look at Dayton, that was the person that supported, I guess you would say, uh, Bernie Sanders, I understood. Uh, Antifa, I understood. Elizabeth Warren, I understood. Had nothing to do with President Trump. Uh, So these are people that are looking for political gain. I don't think they're getting it. And as much as possible, I've tried to stay out of that. Trump's right. They're just trying to use this for political gain, folks. There's no real honest interest from these Democrat candidates in coming together for any kind of solution. This is about power. And as I said, it's not even just the election. That's number one. Number two is change the conversation nationally. Libs want back that ability that they had throughout the 90s and the early 2000s, really up through the Obama years, uh, and really until Trump became president, when it finally felt like there was a bit of a, a change in this, where if someone didn't like, if a lib didn't like what you were saying in an argument, just say, you know, that sounds kind of racist. And, oh, whoa, what, what did I, really arguing for a lower marginal tax rate is racist? I'm so sorry, I didn't. They want that power back. They want that dishonest secret weapon of whenever when in doubt, just call a Republican a racist. And the way that they get that power back is now by escalating the charge beyond even just racism, because that now covers so much that people wonder, what does that even mean to a liberal? Ah, white nationalist. And even if you don't say anything, that's a white nationalist thing or you don't do anything that's white nationalist, which you wouldn't. Just by being a Trump voter now, they're going to say you're a white now. You're supporting a white nationalist. I mean, it's all. It's ugly, it's wrong, it's transparent, but we have to deal with it. It's also very real. This is, this is the plan. This is what they're doing. We'll talk more about Trump's visits to uh, Ohio and Texas, and then also the fallout from Castro's list. Oh, yeah, he didn't want those Trump supporters to get anything bad to happen to them. You know, nice, nice Trump supporter. Be ashamed if anything happens to it, he was saying. And the shooter in El Paso use that same language. Do you regret that? I think that illegal immigration, you're talking about illegal immigration, right? Huh? I think illegal immigration is a terrible thing for this country. I think you have to come in legally. Ideally, you have to come in through merit. We need people coming in because we have many companies coming into our country. They're pouring in. And I think illegal immigration is a very bad thing for our country. Illegal immigration is a bad thing for our country is that a is that a controversial statement at all should anyone think that that is you know the words of a racist or a white supremacist or anything no of course not illegal immigration is illegal there are laws the congress right now could change the law if it wasn't a bad thing but yet they won't do that and i like that president trump sticks with what he knows to be the truth on this issue even though they're, they're hoping that in this moment of particularly sensitive politics, heightened animosity between left and right, between Republicans and Democrats, maybe he'll slip a bit. Maybe he'll say, and I know some of you think that he is slipping with the red flag laws, and I'm, I, I get it. I understand there's, 
very serious concerns about due process, about how it will be abused. This is where people will start to say, okay, but aren't there also serious, you know, should there have been a law to have prevented uh, Nicholas Cruz, the shooter at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, everyone knew that kid was was bad news and was going to hurt people. Anybody around him, anybody who had dealt with him, there was no law to do anything, no law to take away his guns, no way to really get him into the system. Okay, I mean, you know, there is a trade-off here. Let's at least, I understand the due process concerns. I understand that people are worried about uh, how this would be abused by different states and localities, and, and that's that's very real. And I think that you're, there's they're probably right that it would be abused in different ways. But then you also have to get to what is the truth of the other side of it, which is if we don't have any legal recourse against somebody who's clearly insane but hasn't broken the law and hasn't been committed to a mental institution, therefore there's no law right now where you can do anything. Are we just going to say, well, you know, we just hope that the family steps in and does something? Or okay, I mean th- that's a risk too. This is a ba- this is balancing out two things. It's not due process free. It is. It is a head of a, a criminal trial, though, but there are a lot of things that don't necessarily go to a, a jury trial that are, have the force of law. I am open to it, though. I am open to being told that these things need to be a certain way, for sure. Um, I, I have not yet made up my mind. But anyway, back to um, the way that the media talks about Trump, I, I feel like there's been a lot less focus since he has been very, uh, very clearly trying to make sure that that his focus is on unity and healing and taking positive action. They've moved away from his rhetoric, uh, but they still they still go after him on this stuff. Uh, He has condemned hate so many times. He has said that the shooters It doesn't matter. They're never going to say it's enough. We know this. Play play, uh, clip eight. I am concerned about the rise of any group of hate. I don't like it. Any group of hate, I am, whether it's white supremacy, whether it's any other kind of supremacy, whether it's Antifa, whether it's any group of hate, I am very concerned about it, and I'll do something about it. No, I don't think my rhetoric has at all. I think my rhetoric is a very, uh, it brings people together. Our country is doing incredibly well. Country is doing very well, which is why the Democrats are so set on this narrative of Trump, the racist, Trump, the white supremacist economy is strong. The trade war is not what they said it would be. It's not nearly as bad as they've been warning us all along. He's not starting any unnecessary wars. Think about how many lives Trump has avoided losing in this country by not engaging in some overseas folly that both of his predecessors did, both of them, Republican and Democrat, Bush and Obama. What, what, is the, what is the so terrible thing, the so awful thing right now that Democrats can point to at the tweets and then he says mean things? There's nothing else that's going terribly in the country at all. There's no, there's no horrible, uh, oh, what they're going to talk, oh, that's right, oh, kids in cages. Okay, Democrats, you want an open border? Is that what, is that what the, the policy is? The answer, by the way, is yes, they do want an open border. They just won't say it because they need to fool 
a few hundred thousand Americans in a few in a handful of states to vote for them, and then they'll get the open border done. But in the meantime, they got to pretend like they're not into it. But it's worth it is worth asking these questions. What exactly do they offer up that would be better than what Trump gives them right uh, gives the country right now? How would they do a better job than this president? Does anyone really think that Joe Biden is going to do a better job than Donald Trump? Based on what? What exactly is Joe Biden's skill set? How are we supposed to think that Joe Biden is going to be a better steward of the economy or going to have a better knowledge of how to help stimulate markets? Joe Biden is, is a lifelong political demagogue. That is what he has been doing for as long as he's been an adult. That's the only thing he knows how to do. He, he, and now he's worth $10 million, by the way, because of speeches. <laughs> so there's that. He went the Hillary route. Not $100 million, but he made like a solid. Because well, he wasn't selling access to the Secretary of State's office via his, his spouse like Hillary was. But nonetheless, Joe Biden, everybody, he's supposed to be better than Trump. Trump's rhetoric is the one thing that they're hoping is going to deliver the presidency to some Democrat. I think they're going to have to do better than that. I would just say maybe a couple of things. Number one is um, spend more time on your knees than on the Internet. As a Christian believer, we're charged to pray for our loved ones, but also pray for our enemies. And I, I, I you have lots of opportunities in politics to do that. Uh, but I, I would, I would say that um, that forgiveness is a is a great gift. And uh, I, I, my wife and I, literally try and and uh, um, work through forgiving people um, who um, might speak woefully against us or might uh, mischaracterize who we are or what our family's all about. Does he sound like a hateful person to anybody listening to this at all? Does Vice President Pence sound like somebody who you wouldn't be pleased to live next to, work beside? Do you think that his family would treat you and your family, regardless of where you came from, what you look like, how you pray? Do you think that he wouldn't treat you well? There's such a focus on, you know, Trump's tweets, which I know can be aggressive and a little bit off the wall sometimes. But that is not the character of this entire administration. It's certainly not representative of everybody in the administration, nor is it representative of conservatism or Christianity in America, or any, any number of broader issues. And yet it all, right now, gets lumped in with anything tied to Trump, anyone tied to Trump is terrible, is bad. There's no room for nuance. They say this, there's no room for nuance. Vice President Pence is saying that he wants to pray for his critics. I've, I've interviewed the Vice President. I've spent some time talking to him. He's a Seems like a very thoughtful and, and very decent man. I've never heard anybody say otherwise. And in fact, I always thought the, the brouhaha over the Pence rule said much more about the people that thought it was bizarre than it did about Mike Pence. Probably is a good idea not to have dinner alone with someone of the opposite sex without your, you know, dinner alone, meaning, of course, not having your spouse present. Um, maybe sometimes, you know, can't be avoided, but you want to give everybody the heads up and you want to make sure that that thing ends pretty quickly, you know, cause you don't want to open up the door to temptation. I, I don't think that makes him a bad guy at all. I think it makes him somebody who's trying to think 
soundly about protecting his his honor and protecting his his family and making sure that everyone feels respected in his life. But they hate Vice President Pence. You have to remember that. It's not just Trump they hate. They hate Pence. They, oh, what's his name? Pope Pete, you know, Mayor Buttigieg, who doesn't know squat about the Bible or anything else. He just, you know, well, if I was a true Christian, I would do that. It's just all this condescending bullcrap coming from Mayor Pete all the time goes after Pence, so many others. You know, they, I've heard the smarmiest of libs say that their greatest fear is that Donald Trump would step down and then, and then Vice President Pence would become the president. Oh, it'd be like the American American Christian Taliban taking over. You know, it, it would be that the handmaid's tale all of a sudden. They're just this is a delusion. These people need help. They need therapy. They need to get outside and like get some sunshine and find other things to do in life and worry about what they're seeing. And, you know, hashtag resistance Twitter. White House Deputy Press Secretary Hogan Gidley. He's he's a he's a very nice guy. I've, I've met Hogan many times. And he makes it quite clear that, look, we, we got to these are very bad people. We're all on the same side here. We all want to defeat these very bad people. Do the libs take what he says into account at all? Play 13. There are plenty of people in this country who commit acts of evil in the name of politicians, of celebrities and all types of things. It's not the politician's fault when someone acts out their evil intention. You have to blame the people here who pulled the trigger. Those are the ones who are evil. Those are the ones who are sick and mentally ill. And those are the ones that have to be dealt with. Does that sound like somebody who is downplaying what happened here or isn't on board for tackling this extremism and this and this hate that was on display in El Paso and Dayton, which, you know, we're still finding out these are their ideologies of these two sick, evil individuals, more complicated, more factors than we were led to believe at first. There's more going on there. Now, people try to say that Timothy McVeigh was a sort of standard, you know, white Christian male, and then you got into his. You know, he was uh, he believed in science, uh, some kind of weird lib science over Christianity thing. I mean, he had all kinds of crazy ideas. He was, I think, he was an atheist. Um, so, you know, we're going to be finding out more about this. But you'll notice that the initial criticisms are they're not denouncing it, and now that there's been nothing but just denouncing left and right they ignore it and they ignore it in part because i think they want to just move on to the next hit they just want to move on to the next assault speaking of assaults you had representative castro i mean we'll talk more about this in in a couple of minutes but joaquin castro did that it was disgusting he put out this list it was a, a target list of people that give money to Trump and said these people he didn't say these are these are it would have been bad enough if he had left it a little more a little more open ended like, hey, I know that everyone right now is at each other's throats in this country. But uh, here's a list of prominent Trump supporters in the San Antonio area. I'm just putting it out there. No, he said they're funding hate. They're funding racism. These are he called out a, a list of people who gave money to President Trump. Totally legal, totally acceptable. He called it out like they were writing checks directly to the KKK. That's the way that he treated this. And he spoke to Joe Scarborough about this. And we're going to talk about I mean, Scarborough, by the way. I, I don't know how anybody who thinks they're a conservative or, or even a, just a I don't know how somebody 
with any sense of judgment and who's a decent person and cares about. And I'm not talking. Look, I know Scarborough is a, is a homewrecker and and, you know, an adulterer. And look, we're, we're in the era of supporting Trump. Let's not be hypocrites ourselves. Right. I mean, there's some stuff there that we have just turned a blind eye to because we believe in the policy. We believe in the mission. Uh, but I just think Scarborough's show is garbage. I think Scarborough's uh, analysis, if you can even call it that, is just, it's just like a crazy, per- I mean, it's just so personal. He just hates Trump because he hates Trump. It's like they have a feud and we all have to sit around while he complains about it. But here's Castro talking to Scarborough, play, play 15. Some of these Republicans said that I doxed these people. Doxing is when you tell somebody somebody's physical address or phone number None of that was in this graphic that I shared, which was first put up and circulated by a local indivisible group. My post was actually a lament. If you look at my language, I said that it's sad that these folks, many of whom are prominent business owners in San Antonio, a city that's about 65% Hispanic, their customers, the people that have made them wealthy, their employees, the people that have worked for them for years, Many of those folks are Hispanic, and they're giving their money to a guy who's running ads talking about Hispanics invading this country. I mean, just there's so much dishonesty here. First of all, his whole, oh, uh, now he's going to get all definitional about doxing, and he's going to go all lawyerly about what constitutes doxing. He's calling people out by name and location, saying what city they're in, not hard to find who they are. Some of them own businesses. He called out those businesses. Anyone with with Google knows exactly what was going on here. So that's just disingenuous, and he's a punk. But Joe Scarborough, Joe Scarborough, who at one point left open the possibility during the the, uh, 2016 cycle that he might even run with President Trump, tweeted this out. Any business that donates to Trump is complicit and endorses the white supremacy he espoused in Charlottesville with his send-her-back chants and by laughing at shouts that Hispanic immigrants should be shot. Donors' names are on FEC reports. They are newsworthy. Joe Scarborough, multimillionaire jerk. Advocating for this. Do you think that he'll care if someone's business gets firebombed in San Antonio? Do you think that he'll feel sad? Will he feel a little bit guilty? If someone is attacked, you know, picking up their kids from school because they're on this list? No, of course not. Because he's an egomaniac. He's deeply insecure. because He's not very smart. And the guy's blown up his, you know, his, his home life in order to be with Mika. I mean, the whole show is just a bizarro, a bizarro situation. And, you know, that this is being elevated as something that we should all watch or we should listen to these people. Neither one of them are worth listening to for a damn thing. But he's defending this, advocating for this. This is what I mean. Libs will break any rules. There is no level of decency that they won't, or rather there's nothing that they won't do. There's no uh, indecency that they're unwilling to commit if they think that it will help them in their quest to undermine Donald Trump. This reminds me of when the flash mobs were showing up in restaurants and shouting at people and showing up at Tucker Carlson's home. I knew Libs who were saying, yeah, sorry, you know, you support Trump. This is what you get. That's undermining this country. That's pulling us apart. That's destroying who we are. And if they don't take responsibility for that, then I don't want to get lectured from them on anything else. Well, more on this Castro thing coming up here in a second. It's just 
mind blowing. That graphic lists people's names, and many of them are business owners, so they actually own those companies. These are prominent donors, most of them public figures, or many of them public figures. But their money is being taken and used to fuel these hateful ads, and it has put millions of people in this country in fear. There are people right now that are living in fear, and I don't think the president understands that. I don't think those donors understand it, but they need to understand what their money is going to. First of all, libs live in fear of all kinds of stuff that they shouldn't. Libs live in fear of catastrophic climate change. They live in fear of this surge of white nationalism that's going to take over the country. They live in in fear of men taking away all women's rights and rights to their bodies. I mean, they're they're afraid all the time of things that they shouldn't be afraid of. But what Joaquin Castro did here is completely and utterly disgusting. We talked about it yesterday at close to the top of the show. He put out a tweet with a graphic on it that listed all of the people who put out a max donation to President Trump in uh, in San Antonio, Texas. And this is this is doxing. I mean, this is because the, the context matters. The framing of the issue matters. Yes, this this information is publicly available, but. Taking that information right now and saying, as he did explicitly, these people are funding hate. This is singling them out. These are private citizens who have done nothing wrong. And that there were prominent media people who thought that this was behavior that could be defended. Well, I mean, we'll get to that in a moment, but it just goes to show you these people have no intellectual honesty, no integrity, no decency whatsoever. But here's Joaquin Castro himself trying to uh, justify this when Willie Geist, who seems like a pretty reasonable dude, I got to say, I've ne- Willie Geist has never, he's one of the few people in media who's not a conservative who's never ticked me off. You know, I've never been like, oh, I'm not saying everything he says is great. I'm just, it's noteworthy to me. This guy's not. He doesn't seem like a, a slimy, underhanded, uh, you know, partisan, partisan uh, character assassin. So that's he's got that going for him, which is nice. But he asked Castro about this list that he put out. And here's Castro trying to defend doxing, which is what this is doxing. And, and this is also what they're always trying to do with their, their request for transparency. The request for transparency is, is not reality. They want to dox people, to use pressure campaigns, to name and shame because frenzied psycho libs will track down anyone who makes a donation they don't like and harass them and hurt their business. And we don't do that. Culturally conservative, just we just don't do that. We're we're better adjusted. I don't know what else to say. We we as a as a political movement, as a political party, the Republican Party, We don't say, oh, my gosh, this person wrote this check to this person 10 years ago. Let's ruin their business. Libs do it all the time. They're so self-righteous because they believe their politics are intrinsic to their own, to their self-worth. They can't separate these things. And here's Joaquin Castro defending the target list. Play 12. But, Congressman, as you look at this list, I know you said you didn't put their addresses out there. It's easy to find them. These people undoubtedly are already being harassed online or perhaps uh, face-to-face in some cases. They could be. 
What do you say to those people this morning who said, I made a campaign donation and now I'm going to be harassed? I'm going to have people protesting outside my business or perhaps even my home. What do you say to them? Do you want them to repent for their support for Donald Trump or what do you want from them? Well, the first thing is that I don't want anybody harassed or targeted. But they will be because you put their names on in public. Like that that was not my intention. But that's these what things happen. are these things are public. No, what I would like for them to do is think twice about supporting a guy who is fueling hate in this country. Good for Willie Geist. Getting in there. Holding him to account a little. I got to say, high five for Willie Geist. He's right. That is what's going to happen. We all know that's what's going to happen. And you know what? Joaquin Castro knew that was what was going to happen. Oh, he just, he just all of a sudden puts out the names of top Trump donors in the most politically contentious week in months. On an issue where Trump is being on a week where Trump is being called a white nationalist and 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 a race baiter and a. You know, a Nazi and blood on his hands and all this insane exterminating people, all this insane stuff. Now is when Caster does it just goes to show you they try to play to the mob. This is central to the Democratic Party's approach. They are emotion first, they're emotion over reason. And they look for opportunities to exploit the emotionally disturbed, even if it's a a temporary state for them. You know, oh my gosh, the whole country, oh my gosh, white nationalists are going to take over the whole country. No, they're not. Because one, there aren't that many white nationalists at all. I agree with Tucker when he says you could fit them all inside one football stadium. I think that's true. And two, the other 70 million white Americans would never allow that to happen because we think white nationalists are trash. So what is all the what is all the fear? What's the concern? I mean, there's something about this that's that's offensive. You know, if there were if there was a crew of white nationalists marching around my neighborhood, harming and harassing minorities, guess what? I'd be part of the counter mob going to kick their butt. Wouldn't let them harm my my friends and, and neighbors and you know fellow swamp dwellers here of any race, creed or color. Not in a million years. So there's always this assumption baked in to the the lib. First of all, they exaggerate this thing, and then they also act like we're not with them, and these guys are bad guys. But, oh, you know, Joaquin Castro, I just put a target list out there. I didn't know people were going to be targeted on it. These people are disgusting. They're disgusting. They're what? And, you know, Mitch McConnell's got lunatics who are, you know, AOC lib supporters outside outside of his house calling calling him murder Mitch or murder turtle or whatever and saying that you know that they hope someone stabs him just insane stuff. oh you don't hear much about that do you you know that's not leading the CNN broadcasts all day folks let's just understand it we are in a media propaganda war that's what's happening in this country there's no there's no more oh you know we're just gonna have there's no such thing as a news organization that is neutral and just the facts doesn't exist there might be some individual journalists who aspire to that and sometimes manage to fall into that category but that's it's less than less than five percent of them joaquin castro kellyanne conway knows this is all crap play 11 it doesn't matter that it's public record it matters that he's put together some kind of target list and he is making trying to make life miserable or worse 
for law-abiding citizens who are expressing their First Amendment right to put their money where their politics is. Shameful. Libs can't even go a week. You know, they think they have the advantage here. Oh, this one shooter used similar rhetoric to Trump in his manifesto. Therefore, Trump is evil. Therefore, Trump supporters are evil. They really thought they had, they had this moral high ground. They can't even they can't even maintain that for a day or two without showing the whole country. And first of all, I don't believe that they do have the moral high ground, but they can't even hold on to what they've got with that without showing us who they really are which is a bunch of little petty authoritarians that want to shut down free speech, that want to shut down open and honest debate, that can't handle the fact that their arguments simply don't make sense. They hold positions as a party that are lies, that are immoral, that are untrue. And it just bothers them because they're being told that they've internalized, oh, we're the good guys. You know, I believe in climate change because I'm a good person. I believe in open borders, but we won't call it that because I'm a good person. And people like me and you come along and say, well, you know, those are bad ideas. It's not it's not going to work. And if they were good ideas, wouldn't your party be more honest about what they're really trying to accomplish with all this? Oh, then they go, it's so mean. Why are you so mean to us? Why can't you just be nicer? Well, why can't you have better ideas? You know, libs, I'm telling you, they they're running out of stuff. This is all, all they've got right now going into this election and going to this whole whole election cycle. All, all they've really got is Trump is Hitler. Trump is a racist, you know, and then some of them will still be yelling about Russia, Russia, Russia. But they really they just need a nap. They just need a nap. I'll say it was it was kind of funny. I, I tweeted out something along the lines of, you know, libs, you need to calm down. Go for a walk, get some sunshine, take a deep breath and be nice to a stranger. You know, this stuff is not really as as imminent in, in the lib life as they all seem to think it is. And people got, of course, the libs get mad at me for this. How dare you tell me to go out and be nice to a stranger? How, how dare you, sir? Well, I don't know. I think it's probably just a good idea. I think it's going to make you feel a little bit better, or, you know, kind of pass it along you know, make someone's day a little bit easier. It's so it's such a simple thing to do. We can all everyone every day can make the decision to make other people's lives easier. Wouldn't things be better? Oh, but no. Oh, climate change. It's easier to scream about things. It's so much more fun and so much more fulfilling to just be stuck in this perpetual cycle of virtue signaling. Oh, I'm so upset about all these things that the libs and the media tell me I have to be upset about. Really? Are you doing anything about it? Are you changing your life? Are you changing any of your decisions? No, but I know that it means Republicans are bad. Wow. Really? That's bravery right there. Just knowing that Republicans are bad. All people deserve to live healthy lives and feel safe in their homes, in their schools, in their places of worship, in their health centers, in their communities. But today's unprecedented rate of gun violence in the United States threatens that safety. Supremacy is a public health crisis. Is that Hillary? Did she make an appearance all of a sudden somewhere? What was that all about? Hello? Oh, no. That was the Planned Parenthood president. When she's not busy arguing for the perpetuation of a massive industrial system of abattoirs for infants, 
the Planned Parenthood president is out there saying that white supremacy is a public health crisis. This is this is nonsensical. This does not make any sense in any way, shape or form. I mean, white supremacy is bad. It has been around for a long time. Oh, wait, can there be other forms of bigotry that don't involve white people being bigoted? Oh, we can't talk about that. Nope, 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 nope. Is anti-white resentment a thing that the country also might want to start thinking about? Or do we just walk around being told that we have white privilege and the president's a white supremacist? If you support him, you're a white supremacist. You should pay reparations, even though you didn't do anything wrong. You know, we just walk around and just like have to deal with all that all the time. You know, you didn't really earn whatever you have, white Christian male, because, you know, you're a white Christian male. You've you've gotten there through oppression, maybe not your your own acts of oppression, but the oppression of your ancestors. You know, you walk around constantly part of the patriarchy and this is we're supposed to just sit and say, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm just oppressing everybody. You know, I don't mean to oppress everybody, but I'm just so oppressive. You push back against any of this. You're you're a terrible person. If you say, how about we, we treat every individual as an individual? How about individual human dignity is a moral and ethical obligation? All of us seeing each other that way. It is a godly obligation. It is a divine obligation to see each other as human beings in God's image, worthy of individual dignity, irrespective of skin color. C- can we can we take that approach or no, 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 no. I, I we have to walk around. And if you're white, you have to be prepared, as many white libs do, to apologize apologize for your immutable characteristics i'm sorry that i'm part of the white male patriarchy i just like my pronouns are he him and i'm just like really sorry that's what we're supposed to do that is what they believe planned parenthood president wants you to know that you know white supremacy is a public health crisis that's i don't i don't even i don't even know what she thinks she means but if you think that's the only just mind-bogglingly stupid that's out there you'd be wrong because amnesty international today these are all these lefty groups all these left-wing groups disconnected from i think one of the one of the central characteristics of being a a progressive activist in america today is you have to be willing to reject things that normal people intuitively know you know you have to be willing to say Four-year-old boys play with different toys than four-year-old girls because one is a boy and one is a girl. No, no, no. You're not allowed to say that. You have to reject that. You have to be willing to abandon not just objective truth, but obvious, inherent, clear objective truth. Because then then you're a true believer. I mean, then you have been prepared psychologically for all the other nonsense you're going to have to advocate for i mean here here's an example of a leftist group amnesty international that oh look they just try to free people from prisons no it's a bunch of leftists this is like i I remember i got into an argument years ago with a friend sort of a friend not really who was a conservative back in my blaze days and i because i said the southern poverty law center is just a left-wing activist group pretending to work on civil rights when it's just enriching itself and it's effectively an arm of media matters which media matters, I mean, after Planned Parenthood, which is actually killing millions of people. But media matters is one of the most disgusting organizations in America. It's just it's just the the, the biggest losers, the nastiest, most disgraceful people all consolidated under one roof, trying to ruin people's lives and shut down discourse and debate in this country. That's all they do. 
and they're a nonprofit. Oh, they're a nonprofit. Amnesty International, also a nonprofit, they put out a travel advisory today on the United States of America. This is real, folks. The Amnesty International Travel Advisory for the country of the United States of America calls on people worldwide to exercise caution and have an emergency contingency plan when traveling throughout the USA. This travel advisory is issued in light of ongoing high levels of gun violence in the country. If you decide to travel to the United States, be extra vigilant at all times and be wary of the ubiquity of firearms among the population. Avoid places where large numbers of people gather, especially especially cultural events, places of worship, schools and shopping malls. uh, Exercise increased caution when visiting local bars, nightclubs and casinos. Can it get stupider than this? Can libs be more insane than this? Is, is there a next gear? Is there a next level beyond this? I, I really wonder. I think, it, I think it's fair to ask. Yeah, America is so, so dangerous. Um, how, many, how many tourists have been uh, shot in America in recent years? I'm not saying it never happens, but we get millions, maybe tens of millions of tourists. I mean, your, your statistical chances of being a tourist who was caught in gun violence in America while you're visiting is is literally one in a million. It's probably more like one in 10 million. And you have a better than one in 10 million shot every time you turn on the ignition in your car of dying in a car crash, okay? So at what point is this just lunacy? But everyone's getting on the bag, man. Gun violence. We oppose gun violence. I mean, you don't want to talk about Chicago. I don't want to talk about Baltimore. You saw me on the Bill Maher show. I, I was like, I was in Baltimore two days ago and, you know, Granholm turned to me, you know, kids in cages, kids in cages. I'm like, that's the border. That is not what are you <laughs> what are you even talking about? You know, oh, my gosh, he's talking about Baltimore. Yeah. Am I not? Am I banned from? I was just there in the West part President of Baltimore. Trump looking at the ghetto to uh, and wondering how we can fix this. And is that no? No, we can't, I can't talk. Like We're not like, in the trust tree. We're not in the nest. Who just like doesn't want the president to go. It's just like it's just he's so hateful and he is a racist and he is worse than Adolf Hitler. And like, I'm just brave enough to say it, even in front of people who watch MSNBC. Uh, But the president was trying to be a president and go and heal and try to uh, encourage unity and be, be a part of the national mourning that's going on. It was interesting to see how he was received, given what they were saying about all of this. Um, but I mean, first of all, here's what, here's what we were told about, um, El Paso residents. And here's what they were, here's what MSNBC was saying about the residents of El Paso, how they received them. Play 19. I mean, Jacob, you've been in El Paso talking to the community. What's the feeling there about the president's visit? Well, Ali, given the way that the president has talked about Latinos, uh, and Latinos make up uh, the vast majority of the population of the city uh, of El Paso, surprisingly uh, positive is the way that people are responding here in the wake of the shooting. I see um, calls for unity um, and a great spirit of togetherness. So it was a good thing. So the president showing up there, you know, Beto and the other imbeciles running around don't know what they're talking about. President Trump's presence does seem to have had a a positive effect, which anybody would expect it to. And then what was the reality of a president going to Dayton? Well, here's the Dayton mayor who's a I I believe producer Mike, a Democrat, correct? I mean, I'm I'm assuming 
the Dayton mayor talking about the president's decision to not go to an area of the shooting. Play 16. Stop by the Oregon district. There were well over 100 people there around that time. What are your thoughts on that decision? I think it was a good decision for them not to stop in the Oregon district. And why was that? Well, look, I mean, I think how many of you were here for the Sunday vigil? Any of you? Any? Okay, so you saw um, just some of the anger and um, uh, agitation in our community about it. Uh, I think a lot of people that are own, own businesses in that district aren't, aren't interested in the president being there. And, you know, a lot of the time his talk can be very divisive, and that's the last thing we need in Dayton. Does anyone really think the president was going to show up to Dayton and, and go to a, a vigil or go to an area that's just suffered a mass casualty attack and be divisive? I mean, this was a serious concern for the, the Dayton mayor. It's it's just unfortunate that this is where this is where discourse is gone. But I, I keep saying, you know, libs are responsible. Libs are responsible not just for what they say now, which they are there's insane things coming out of their mouths on a regular basis about the president, about his supporters. They seem to forget that it's the way that they treated conservatives and Republicans for the eight years of the Obama presidency. That opened the door for Trump in the first place. Trump was considered by many of those who voted for him to be a corrective of sorts to the lib mentality of we're winning the culture war. We've won the presidency and now we're going to go around and just beat up the people that have already been beaten up and just make sure that they know that, uh, you know, their their days in power are over and they're going to say what we want them to say. They're going to do what we want them to do. Wow. Then Trump came along and said, I'm actually going to fight back. But even Trump understands, no matter what someone thinks of him, that what's happened in El Paso and what's happened in Dayton is a, is a trauma and requires a, a, uh, a unified approach and a human-first approach, not a party-first approach. Um, but then you've got people like uh, Sherrod Brown in Ohio who... It just took this as an opportunity to do more political pandering. Here's Sherrod Brown in Ohio, place 17. Uh, I then later asked the president um, to, uh, if I said, if you care about mental health, and many people who support the gun lobby consistently say, well, it's not guns, it's mental health. Well, it isn't mostly that. It's mostly too many guns on the street. When I said to him how important it was, if he cares about mental health, the important thing is not to repeal the Affordable Care Act and not to cut Medicaid. Um, that is essential because Medicaid matters so much for people that struggle with mental health issues. Ah, classic liberal moment here. Sherrod Brown saying that, Democrat, of course, Mr. President, if you care about the the dead and the families of the, the grieving families and and what's happened here in, in Dayton, Ohio, you will, of course, support the Obamacare plan that Republicans have rightly pointed out dramatically underperforms from what we were promised and is just affecting a, a slice of the healthcare market. It is largely a an expansion of Medicaid and then does some cost shifting within the individual market. And that's really what, what we get into here. I, you know, it, you better support my policy or you don't care about the about the dead. Um, you don't care about the people that have been killed. Democrats do this all the time. Again, I, I don't see I don't see Republicans doing this. I don't think this is a both ways thing, a both sides thing. Democrats have this habit. 
They feel very, uh, very safe, very open, very free to engage in, in the most obvious demagoguery on these political topics because, well, they know the media is going to back them up and no one really ever calls them out on it. But the president went, the president said the right things, did the right things, and his critics who were claiming he shouldn't even go, they were just acting in bad faith the whole time. We're planning for the Chinese to come here next month. Um, and if there's a good deal or good progress, he may reconsider some things. But similarly, he has also said if there's no good deal and no progress, he may also reconsider some things on the other side. Deal or no deal? Chinese economy, U.S. economy, maybe the global economy, uh, somewhat in the balance here. I wanted to get into some of the details, so I brought on someone who actually follows economics abroad, trade policy, all those good things. We've got Derek Scissors with us now. He is a China economist at AEI. Derek, thanks for making the time. I'm glad to be on. All right, let's start with this. Uh, how big a deal was this whole letting the letting the yuan slip below, what is it, 7 or the renminbi slip below 7 to 1, and then some of the other sanctions or or sanction like things that the chinese and the u.s did to each other in the last week like what they do and why should how big a deal is it so the big deal was when the president on thursday said we're going to impose a 10 percent tariff on another 300 billion about of chinese goods on on september 1st and you know in the past when we've started with a 10 percent tariff it's gone to 25 so that's looming out there too that was a big deal. Everything that's happened since has not been a big deal. The Chinese currency move for the renminbi was really small, like less than 1.5%. They're banning on you know buying U.S. agricultural products. They weren't buying U.S. agricultural products before, so that ban was a waste of time. We call them a currency manipulator. Technically, that's true, but if at 1.5%, that's going to justify a 1.5% tariff. President's already talking about 10 or 25% tariffs. So the big move was last Thursday, and then for some reason everyone decided to get upset on Monday. Those those steps on currency weren't important. So uh, how likely is it in your mind that we're going to see some positive things happen? It just feels like there's talks, and then there's more, and then there's more tariffs, and there's talks, and there's more. Uh, you know, it, it seems like it's only going in a negative direction so far. What has to happen for that to turn around? Well, I think you're right about the negative direction, and I think the fundamental reason is that Chinese don't want to give us what we want. We want them to be better trade partners um, who, in particular, don't steal or coerce U.S. intellectual property. And they don't want to. They want to keep doing it. That makes the talks pretty hard. Um, if we're going to have better news, the opportunity is next week, maybe the week after, the U.S. is deciding on licenses for Huawei, which is a very large Chinese telecom firm. The administration has said, look, we're not going to give licenses that, that impinge on, that might harm national security, but we'll give other licenses. I mean, it's easy for them to say that. We have to see the outcome. But I think they want to grant Huawei some licenses. If they do that, then the Chinese need to respond right away. Otherwise, presidents can get very angry. Um, but if the Chinese do respond, then we have that outcome that Larry Kudlow was just talking about with maybe we don't impose the tariffs on September 1st. And in terms of Huawei, what, what would that mean for people here? Do we is, is this something that would affect the broader economy? I mean, why, why should folks listening? Uh, yeah, there's this national security, security concern about backdoors and surveillance. And, you know, the, the Chinese are listening everywhere and all that stuff. OK, fine. If we get these Huawei licenses, will it be good for us in some way? It's not going to matter. I mean, a lot of the China trade discussion is overblown. 
Um, there, you know, there are a few American companies that supply Huawei. It's good for them to be able to sell. Um, we don't really use Huawei products here, so it doesn't really that doesn't matter. It's it's a question of two things. It's a question of whether they're harming national security, and I have to be honest, I don't really know. I'm not a national security expert. And then the other side of it is Huawei's not been a good company for a long time. Do we want to take the ethical position of doing business with them? Um, and the president's a practical guy, and he said sure. Um, but I don't think it's good. And most people aren't going to notice whether we give out the licenses or don't give out the licenses. So how much of this, you know, every time I turn on like CNBC or, or any of the, the business cable news channels and the, the market's having a bad day, it, it, it's almost like this, the standard refrain is just like, oh, you know, fears of a trade war with China. I mean, one, I mean, do you I know you're not really like a, a markets guy as in investing and stuff all day long, but how much of that do you think is true and how much of that is just laziness where people want to say something? Oh, I think it's a lot of laziness. I mean, just let's take a look at the last few days. As I said, on Monday, everybody freaked out over nothing. And you know freaked out over nothing because half the losses came back the next day. Today, the market opens way down because of the trade war, and then it ends flat. Well, the trade war didn't end in the middle of the day, so what? Um, we're just, there's volatility. You know, we've had a big market run-up, as you know, for 10 years. Uh, markets, you know, low point was March of 2009. So when you get to this point, everything causes people to, to freak out, like, oh, my goodness, it's finally coming to an end. That's what they're doing with trade. The main event on trade, as I said, was last Thursday, and the market didn't react that badly. The stuff now, people are just saying, it must be trade because they don't know what's going on. Is there a, a, a realistic possibility in your mind of this trade war ramping up in a way that it does get scary for the economy, that it does become something that we have to go, okay, what was this was this worth it? I mean, all along people are saying, oh my gosh, Trump, look, this was the the consensus conservative opinion, at least in the in the media realm, was, you know, tariffs are bad, trade wars are bad, trade wars lead to real wars, Trump shouldn't do this. And it's like, well, he's been doing it for a year and seems like so far it hasn't been, it certainly hasn't been a catastrophe. It, do you think there is a, a catastrophic possibility here or is this going to continue with this muddled back and forth and you know there'll be some tariffs but that'll be it well i i completely agree with you it's been wildly overblown to now um and and for people who seem to be chasing clicks or headlines or, or views or whatever they're chasing um i do think there's the possibility that it gets really bad and i'm not saying that's likely i don't think it'll happen but the reason i think there's a possibility it gets really bad is the chinese as i said it starts with the chinese not wanting to be better partners the president has been right to say you need to be better partners a lot of people including me don't think you should use tariffs i think you should be attacking chinese state and enterprises but he's right about the the basic point well if the chinese aren't going to be better partners the us needs to keep taking action to separate from them and the chinese aren't going to like that they like stealing our technology they like running a big trade surplus with the U.S. So the more we say, you know, we've negotiated with you, you're not giving us what we want, we're going to take these further steps as the president did last week, the more their retaliation is going to get serious. And then we're going to find, you know, that possibility in 2020 during an election, which prompts a lot of actions anyway, you'd find that all those people who thought trade war, oh, terrible, the market's crashing, they're going to find out what a real trade war is. So we haven't had anything serious happen, and you can see that in the American economy. It's possible that it could happen, the starting point being the Chinese don't want to be a decent trade partner. What is the, what is the truth of when you hear Trump say things like, the Chinese are paying for it, you know, or, or you know, when people talk about tariffs, you know, people say tariffs are a tax, but then Trump is saying, you know, we're getting billions and billions from them. What is the reality of that? Okay, so, of course, it's, it's split, right? I mean, 
just like a tax here, if I, if I put a tax on you and you decide to pay it, right, then you pay for it, right? The American consumer pays when they buy higher-priced Chinese goods, not the Chinese. Where the president is right is, for example, in the first half of this year, Chinese goods exports to the United States dropped $30 billion because people didn't want to buy those goods anymore. And when they don't buy those goods, the Chinese pay. So I, I know everybody wants a really simple answer, but the answer is if you pay for the tax goods, you pay for the higher price goods, then you pay. If you don't pay for them, if you substitute to someone else, something else, you say, like, I don't want to buy that anymore, it's too expensive, the Chinese pay. So just and to, so just to, to, to close the, the loop here, Professor sure. Scissors, for a second, how do <laughs> Sorry, the Chinese, like, I, I get the, if we're not buying the Chinese stuff, how are the Chinese paying? Well, they're, lo- they're losing, they've lost $30 billion of exports this year. And that was really before we applied the, the biggest tariff, which was in May. So, they're ah, so it hurts then. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, just like anything else, forget, forget tariffs and taxes. Just say, I raise my price. Whenever you pay it, I get more and you, you have to pay. But if you're like, I'm not buying that, I'm the one who lost because I lost the business. So that's the way the Chinese pay. They lose business. What do you think Trump should do going forward? Stick to his guns with this stuff? I think he has to this, you know, we're not going to get what we want from China. I've for a long time saying the U.S. needs to have a smaller economic relationship with China. It's a a cult of personality, communist dictatorship, um, and we should not be engaged in this huge relationship with them. Having said that, I think the president has to decide, all right, what's worthwhile and what's not worthwhile. They're not going to give us what we want on intellectual property. Is it worthwhile for me to say, I'm keeping some of the tariffs, but not all the tariffs. You need to buy something. Um, We'll cut a deal that is not a a comprehensive big deal the way the president wanted, but it keeps us from escalating. Um, I think that's the call you probably make. Uh, You know, in an election year, you got a lot of other stuff going on. You do not want a huge economic conflict with China. So I, I think you don't go back to the status quo. The status quo under Obama in the second term was not a good, and before that, was not a good result for the U.S., um, but I also think escalation now starts to get uh, starts to be a worry. What um, happens so if China? Sorry, I got one last one for you because the sure, Wall Street sorry. Journal raised this. Uh, China, yes, it would hurt them too in a sense. But if, what about this China dumping all of its uh, U.S. Treasuries just just to stick a thumb in our eye? Um, you know, I, I always say this: like, remember that for every seller, there has to be a buyer. Um, if if a lot of other people, a lot of non-Chinese bondholders are like, oh, U.S. Treasuries, that's a good buy. I'll take that. It doesn't do anything. If, the, if nobody wants to buy it, the Chinese have to cut the price. And they lose money because it's their holdings. And there is an organization that can buy Treasuries at any time. It's called the Fed. So there's just no outcome here. Either people want the Treasuries and it doesn't matter, or the people don't want the Treasuries and the Chinese have to cut the price. There's no outcome here that hurts us compared to hurting China. Um, it might scare some bondholders, but for the country, uh, that move by China is, is a gain, would be a gain, not a loss. Derek Scissors, everybody. China economist at AEI. Derek, always illuminating, man. Thanks so much for joining us. Happy to be on. See you next time. Team, we'll be right back. Has the lib media abandoned all standards? I don't mean are they biased. We already know that. I don't mean are they partisan. That's obvious. I mean, have they made the decision? Are they now actively in favor of anything goes as long as you're bashing Trump? There is nothing you can say on TV that is too stupid. There is nothing you can say on Twitter that is too vile. If it is bashing the president, you will get a pass. I really believe the answer is yes. I think we have reached a point now where the guardrails are completely off 
and they are just heading to crazy town. Doesn't matter. Here's one of the best examples of this. Uh, and we've got a couple of them to, to work through today. But I just want to note, you know, I, I worked at CNN as a contributor for a couple of years, which was very interesting. It was definitely a peek behind en- enemy lines. And, and I saw what a dishonest place it was and, and how uh, smarmy and unfair much of what was going on at CNN was on a day-to-day basis. But it's gotten so much crazier. It really has. I mean, they purged all the real conservatives. Uh, all the effective real conservatives have been purged. So there's no one left who will defend the president with any real. I mean, OK, I'm sorry. I don't want him to get mad at me because he's a friend. Steve Cortez, he will defend the president. I don't watch much CNN, but I don't see a lot of Steve Cortez on CNN. I'll say that. And he's also gets trashed by the anchors and they're deeply disrespectful to him. So, you know, how effective I think he would be effective given a fair platform. But it's it's an ambush. It's an ambush there all the time. Anyway, I, I like Steve. But that's one guy. They must have a hundred contributors on the payroll over there. Anyway, then you've got MSNBC, which has become, you know, CNN is just the hashtag resistance liberal echo chamber. That's its brand now. We hate Trump. We're taking Trump down. I mean, CNN was actively part of the Russia collusion plot. I mean, there were leaks to CNN journalists from former deep state national security officials about the, you know, the dossier and the. The P tape uh, thing and all this. I mean, that CNN was was intimately involved in that. And we know this. So they were they thought they were going to be the Washington Post bringing down Nixon, except it was going to be Trump. That was that was CNN's play. And it didn't happen. MSNBC has been the place where if you're a never Trumper and you need a place to go on TV, you go to MSNBC where you bash the president and smile and are very smug while you do the opposition's work, right? While, while you make it more politically uh, challenging for conservatives of any kind to say, defend life, defend limited, go- you know, defend limited government, defend borders, defend, you know, you're, you're doing all the left's work for them, but, you know, you hate Trump and you're getting a chance to say that. So, you know, this is, it's really the, the useful idiot channel now, the useful conservative idiots. But then you also just have people that come to prominence because they're willing to say completely insane things. There's a, a, a CNN. There are a few CNN national security contributors who are uh, just intellectually third rate and say things like Trump is a Russian asset. And they have said things like that. And they're just not they're unserious people. This may be the prize winner, the gold standard of stupidity, the most insane segment on cable news that I can think of in recent memory. And that says a lot because I probably watch too much cable news. It's for work. I don't enjoy it. There's this guy who was an assistant director at the FBI or assistant deputy director, or deputy assistant to the assistant undersecretary director or something. You know, they got all these titles. It's all the same crap. This guy, uh, Frank Figliuzzi, who used to be a big Russia collusion truther, by the way. He, he was a Russia collusion guy. But that didn't really get him as much attention. He decided to go into, I guess, n- numerology here in order to say that, you know, Trump is Trump is basically Hitler. Because the flags are at half staff after these tragedies, 
you, you have to you have to hear this for yourself. This was on cable news on MSNBC. Here is former senior FBI official, which does, I'm telling you, the FBI is I said it last night on Tucker's show. If it were a stock, it is dropping. Here's what he said. Play clip one. The president said that we will fly our flags at half mast until August 8th. That's 8-8. Now, I'm not going to imply that he did this deliberately, but I am using it as an example of the ignorance of the adversary that's being demonstrated by the White House. The numbers 8-8 are very significant in neo-Nazi and white supremacy movement. Why? Because the letter H is the eighth letter of the alphabet. And to them, the numbers 8-8 together stand for Heil Hitler. So we're going to be raising the flag back up uh, at dusk on 8-8. No one's thinking about this. No one's, no one's giving him the advice or he's rejecting the advice. So understand your adversary to counter the adversary. I mean, that guy's a lunatic. He's going on TV and suggesting that because the president has flown flags at half staff to mark a tragedy that happened that normal human beings know the president had nothing to do with uh this is a, this is a nod or could be considered a nod to white supremacists because of eight i mean you, you heard the guy i don't know how anyone could go on tv and be that and be that bonkers i mean you could do this with any number of things right you could say well you know this is you know, it's it's been six hours since the president tweeted and six is the number of the devil. And it's actually also been six days since the president said this other thing. And so there's also a, a gap of of six months between the last time. So six, 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 the president's basically Satan. This is what this guy did as a national security expert on national TV. You, you think MSNBC is embarrassed by this? No, not embarrassed at all. There are people in their audience who are like, yeah, that seems about right. 6-6, six, six, Heil Hitler, yeah, sure. Or 8-8, eight, eight, rather, Heil Hitler, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds about right. These people are scary. I mean, they, they think that we're supposed to be so scared because of the, the rise of, of, of white nationalism in this country, which I would say is a law enforcement, is a law enforcement problem and a, and a local threat. It is not a national strategic threat. It's just not. People can say it is all day. It's not. No one's sitting around worried that there's going to be a, uh, you know, a, a series of planes run into buildings because white nationalists are upset about something. That's not a that's not a realistic concern. But Frank Figliuzzi is uh, is in Wackoville. It also is a reminder. Wow, maybe maybe Trump shouldn't trust people at the senior levels of the fbi that he doesn't know personally maybe the deep state which has now produced brennan comey mccabe clapper yates struck page these are this is like a a top tier government stooge list i mean these are people that are at the very top of the cia and the fbi institutions that one i worked for and used to command respect. I don't know if we can say that anymore. I don't know if they're as respected as they used to be. In fact, I know they're not as respected. I just wonder how much trust and faith we should put in them. I'm not talking about the day-to-day work. I'm talking about the leadership, people making very political decisions at the top. 
The day-to-day work is pretty much on autopilot. These places, people know what they want to do. They've got their missions. They go for it. I mean, particularly the FBI and the CIA. A lot of coffee drinking and report writing. Uh, but yeah, Frank Figliuzzi is uh, yet another FBI deep state maniac who is just, it's just one of the craziest segments I've seen on TV in a long time. That said, it's not necessary. You, you could make the case. I don't know. It might not be crazier than what Nicole Wallace went on TV recently to say. And, and that's something special because you see, Nicole Wallace is a former Bush administration person. She's one of these Republicans who's gone far, far to the dark side of anti-Trumpism. This is also a reminder of when Bill Maher tried to corner me on how uh, Mueller and, and Comey were Republicans. I was like, that's just that's a non-point because the people that hate Trump the most are some of them are former Republicans in particular. People have switched parties. I've lost friends in media. People won't even talk to me anymore because they're so angry about Trump and they used to consider themselves conservatives. So it's, it's just a non-point. But Nicole Wallace is... Another one who should be embarrassing to MSNBC. She's got her own show. They're probably paying her a million dollars a year, maybe two. What did she say? You got to stay with me. I'll play it for you. The last Republican president fought for, sought, and 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 it's, it's not ideal, but had 44% of right. the Latino vote. It was, a, it was so politically powerful in, in, inside the last Republican administration. President Obama used the power of the presidency mm-hmm. to try to pass comprehensive immigration reform with the Latino community, Latino leaders at the table. You now have a president, as you said, talking about exterminating right. Latinos. That's just a lie. Exterminating Latinos. That would mean the mass slaughter or mass eradication of a people. One of the ugliest things you could ever say about about anyone, right? That they're advocating for the extermination of a group of people. And this is straight out of the Trump is Hitler playbook. But this is what they say. This, this woman said this on on cable news, on TV. Do you think that remember MSNBC is just the little left wing lunatic younger brother of NBC, which is a you know major company owned by, I don't even know who owns it now, but owned by some huge conglomerate. I think it used to be owned by GE. I think now it might be owned by someone else. I don't know. But she said that uh, the president president talks about exterminating Latinos. That's just, that's a lie, and it's a reckless lie. It's a grotesque lie. It's It's not something you could say accidentally in good faith about someone. That's just, that is a slander. But, She's bitter. You know why? She's somebody who probably figured that if Jeb Bush, because all we can only have Bushes and folks, I do not like political dynasties. I will not like political dynasties. Some of you might get mad at me about this in the future, but mm -mm, I'm not I'm not into it. I don't I'm not okay with the well, this person is is my progeny, so they should run the country now. It's not good. Uh, Wasn't good with Jeb, but she figured, well, I'll be part of the Jeb entourage when he wins the presidency which means i'll get more access and money and power which is what so so many of the never trumpers are really just driven by their own ego they're not connected in this administration they were part of a republican establishment the bush mccain establishment romney to some degree too but romney was never really at the same level and they figured that this you know it was kind of their turn 
if a Republican won, they were going to be down here in D.C. going to the. By the way, there are fancy cocktail parties. People say, "Oh, the stupid, the stupid so-called fancy Georgetown cocktail parties." That's a real thing that happens here. I, I don't know why writers and other people think they're clever and think, "Oh, Georgetown cocktail." Yeah, there they are. Fa- fancy cocktail parties with famous politically connected people happens all the time. <laughs> I don't get invited to them, but I know about them. So yeah, but they want to get invited to them. But here's what she was saying back in the day about uh, what Jeb Bush should do to Donald Trump. Three. Called him out. Yeah. It would have been a very different. So I, I told Jeb Bush after that debate that I thought he should have punched him in the face. I said, even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murders. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. You would have been a hero. I think you should have punched him in the face. This is the a political advisor. If she's. Is she as stupid as that guy who's the, quote, independent over at ABC, Dowd? He's one of the dumbest people in politics, by the way. I mean, he just says things that are moronic all the time. But he, you know, he gets patted on this, patted on the the head by Stephanopoulos and the other the other libs who actually run ABC News and run ABC, the network. And, you know, he needs he needs what he needs. So he'll do whatever he'll do, whatever the the paymasters tell him to do. People that are writing the checks. Uh, oh, and there's even more Nicole Wallace uh, saying things that are just completely. These are just inappropriate things to say. Play clip four. Walker, how do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? Why can't she just say, if a staffer said that, we're going to get to the bottom of it and she'll be fired. Run up to her and wring her neck. Now that one, I, you know, maybe she got a little caught up in the moment or whatever, and you know, she meant it figuratively. I, I'd be willing to give a little leeway, but she, this woman has a history of just saying aggressive, aggressively stupid and aggressive physically things on television. No, no, no disciplining of her. I mean, think about what happens if you're a conservative and you go on TV and you say any. They, they doxed. News networks were doxing a bunch of high school kids wearing Team Mitch T-shirts because they were pranking around with a a cardboard cutout. You know, there was nothing violent in what they were doing. The worst thing was, I'm sorry, no, there was a guy that did the, he made like a, like a, like a choking motion. That was, I mean, that was stupid, but he's not actually choking anybody. It's not really a threat. You know, people, People can usually you'd say high school kids can do stupid things sometimes. No harm, no foul, but not in this case. Oh, they're wearing Team Mitch T-shirts. So AOC acts like she thinks they're Mitch employees. And then, I mean, these kids, I'm sure they're getting death threats. I mean, I haven't seen that reported on yet, but I'm sure it's happened. They're probably just hoping to God they can wait this whole thing out. But talking about secret, secret Nazi symbols, uh, Talking about exterminating people. Reza Aslan, one of the most odious people to have ever been put on TV as an expert in anything. The guy is a professor of creative writing from like UC who gives a crap and acts like he's the be, the be all end all when it comes to Christianity, radical Islam, you name it. He's just this global scholar. The guy's a smug jerk and an idiot. And he, you know, is straight up cursing publicly at the first family, at Ivanka Trump, at the whole Trump family. He's calling them all white nationalists. He used to have his own show at CNN. They told me once that they were going to have me debate him, and they didn't, and it ended up being Mark Lamont Hill instead on Radical Islam. But, I mean, I'm still annoyed to this day that that didn't get to happen. 
Radical Islam everywhere is, you know, who know, who knows what Islam is? It's whatever people say it is. It's that, that was the whole game. That was the, you know, oh, you, you don't know. And are, are you, do you, do you know the Quran backwards and forwards? Do you speak Arabic? You don't know. No, I, I just don't want, I just don't want us to continuously worry about planes getting blown out of the sky by lunatics yelling Allahu Akbar. That's, that was my role in all of this. But I digress. Uh, you've really seen a, a mass psychosis unfolding from the lips. And there's just no way that you could look at any of this and, and think to yourself, oh, they've, they've been, uh, you know, they've shown us a willingness to be more respectful, more tolerant, more decent. And so we should respond in kind. If, if anything, they look for opportunities to excuse their own excesses, their own violations of good faith and good order. Uh, they just want to they just want to find some way to go all in and just try to crush people, try to ruin reputations, get people fired. Liberalism is a very, you know, it's an it's an aggressive, destructive and ultimately very sad ideology now in America. It, it doesn't lift people up. It's an it's an ideology uh, of grievance, an ideology of selfishness, an ideology of destruction. It's true. So I, I mean, there's no other. I, I just I don't know how so many people could believe this crap. That's what I wake up every day thinking. What is wrong with everybody else? It's really, that's how I really feel. I even tell some of my lib friends that sometimes they look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, you're crazy. Just want to say a quick shout out and thank you to uh, two people who were very kind to me in the last couple of days. I had an FBI agent come up to me on the street. He was on his way. I could tell we're right near the DOJ. And uh, he, he came up to me and he said that he really loves my work and appreciates somebody that actually knows some stuff, goes out there and makes the case. So thank you, FBI agent, um, whose name I will, will not say, of course, over the airwaves. But thank you so much for uh, your kind words. And then also, I had a very nice lady who was a uh, security guard at a building I was going into. She worked the front desk. And she said um, that she saw me on Bill Maher's show and that I was fantastic and i was very nice you know i'm somebody I, I don't i don't exist in a world of walking around that everyone's like oh you're amazing i always remember so whenever someone says something nice to me i, I really is meaningful i always remember charles cook telling me that he was going out to i think it was uh, he was going out to the bill maher show and he was on the same plane sitting close to rachel maddow and on the whole flight people are coming up to rachel maddow saying you know thank you for all you do for for the middle class, you know, Rachel Maddow is probably sitting there in a $3,000 hoodie in first class making $15 million a year. Yeah, she cares a lot about the middle class. But speaking about planes, I think manners are really important. And whenever I say this, I worry that I'm going to turn into Jerry Maguire and say, these fish have manners, which I'm not having a breakdown, so I'm not going to do that. But I think manners are really important, and I think that we would be all better off as a society if we just agreed that civility in day-to-day -day life is necessary for civilization this isn't just a little thing everybody should be polite to each other as much as they possibly can and i'm a new yorker so i mean i you know if somebody yells at me or something yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna show them one particular finger and maybe throw some salty language out there but without provocation i think everyone should be nice to everybody else in day-to-day -day life or, or polite to everyone else and that's why i was Trouble to see this. This got a lot of a lot of play. This woman named Carolyn Rothstein, who is a according to her Twitter blue check bio, internationally touring writer, poet, performer, educator, work in Mary Claire, Cosmopolitan, BuzzFeed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
She tweeted this out saying, no, thank you. I got it to the middle aged white man on the airplane who offered and began to take my suitcase out of the overhead compartment for me was a quickly calculated act of resistance. Ooh, Carolyn, you badass, you hashtag resistance. Stopping that mean middle aged white man from trying to help you with a bag that he's probably taller than you, I'm guessing, and maybe even stronger. And so it's easier for him. And he didn't want you to hurt yourself slash was just trying to be kind. But thinking that you are being a resistance hero by rejecting kindness. I don't think this is limited to Ms. Rothstein these days. I think this is much more common among leftists. I think that they would rather push us all into a tribalism where unless it's somebody who's on your team, whatever that means, you don't want them helping you. You don't want them being nice to you, being decent to you. Libs are just not as nice as conservatives that I come across in day-to-day life. They're just not. I, I wish I could say otherwise. But all the super polite people that, I, that I'm just saying, this is anecdotal, the super polite people that I come across, for the most part, in media I'm talking about, not in life, in media, the nice people are the conservatives. The libs, they don't like manners. They don't like being friendly. They think they're all hashtag resistance. And I think that they're just silly. Ain't no party like a team buck party. Cause a team buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got buck turned up to 11. It's time for roll call. Roll call, everybody. It's roll call, roll call, excellent. Woo, woo, woo. No, no, thumbs down. All right. All right. All right. Please clap. Exactly. Thank you. Uh, let's see here. Darby right. Hey, brother, long time. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Columbine happen right in the middle of the assault weapons ban? By the way, I go by he, him as well. Uh, One last thing regarding gun confiscation. I believe it was Charles Cook that pointed out several years ago on your show that if government forces went door to door and performed their mission, they could very possibly find that 30 to 40 million people might shoot back. Charles has a point. Anyway, hope you're doing well, brother. Shields high from Dallas. So as for Columbine, I'd have to check. I don't know. Uh, what was Columbine? 1999, I think. Uh, was that right? Columbine shooting? I'll check right now so I give you guys the... I don't know everything, so I got to sometimes do a quick Google search. Let's see. Columbine. Yeah, it was... Not, I do know a lot more than I think. 1999, I'm correct. And then I'd have to also look and see. So I don't know if the assault weapons ban exactly what years it started and ended. I think I think the answer is that, yes, it happened during that. But don't quote me on that. Yep. Angela. But my brother Darby from Dallas. Shields High. Thanks for calling in, man. Or for writing in, rather. Angela writes, Buck, watch you on Bill Maher. Loved it. Castro is insane. I loved what Stephen P. of Northern Virginia did for Baltimore. Think Chicago needs more love and prayers. Uh, who is Stephen P? I don't. I don't know who that is, so I can't tell you. Lenny writes, "I totally crack up when you do Cuomo, Sanders, and Hillary." Well, that's very good, Lenny, because I do the voice to make you laugh. 
Cuomo, who is governor of one of the largest and most important states in the country, sounds like somebody that you would probably have second thoughts buying a hot dog from. True story. Chad. I haven't heard the left, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie, denounce Antifa or Satanism, but no worries, I will not be holding my breath, Chad. That's good, because I wouldn't want you to pass out. Um, John writes, from Wikipedia, Shinola is a defunct brand of shoe polish. The Shinola Company, founded in Rochester, New York in 1877, as the American Chemical Manufacturing and Mining Company, produced the polish under a sequence of different owners until the 1960. It was during the first half of the 20th century it entered the American lexicon as you don't know blank from Shinola. Huh. Thanks, John. I was was unaware of that. And now I know. And I was surprised some of you didn't seem to know exactly who um, uh, or what I was talking about, I should say. Not who I was talking about. What I was talking about there with you don't know blank from Shinola. You guys never heard that before? Come on. Come on. David writes, here's a more detailed explanation of Shinola from Steve Martin. Well, thank you. I'll have to watch that on my own. Aussie writes, uh, can you tell me more about yourself? I'm a conservative African-American woman, 69, and a former flight attendant, a Trump voter and supporter. Shinola is a floor wax, and I listen to your show. Well, Aussie, you have fantastic taste in radio shows uh what else do you want to know about me you got to give me more specific questions than that born and raised in manhattan went to uh, jesuit high school went to amherst college in massachusetts went into the cia out of college was in the cia 2005 to 2010 nypd intelligence division 2011 got hired by glenn beck instead of going to business school in 2011 worked in the blaze from 2011 to 2016 and have been working for premier radio network since that pretty much, that's a pretty quick ver. Also li- uh, likes long walks on the beach and the color blue. So there's that. Steve. Hey, Buck, longtime follower from Live Free or Die State of New Hampshire since your real news days with the Blaze. So I'm super OSS. Oh, look at you, super OSS, man. When you stated that Biden doesn't know something from shinola i figured it was referencing shoe polish in the latter anyway here's the link wow you guys all you love to when i don't know something you guys fill in the you guys fill in the blank really fast for me here producer mark did you know about this shinola polish company i did not know about it i did not thank you to our listeners for telling us yeah isn't one of the great joys of this show that our listeners are like an army of fact checkers and historians all across the country i learn stuff all the time you're supposed to say yes Yes. All right. There we go. Tia writes, Kudlow and Kramer back together again on your radio show. I still miss their show. Great show for you as always, though. I also recently watched the new Jack Ryan series on Amazon. I laughed when she called him an agent. I shouted at the TV. No, officer. And and then he corrected her. Had he not corrected her, it would have totally invalidated the series. I did love the show. Can't wait for season two. Although I'm having trouble warming up to the female lead, Shields High. Uh, yeah, uh, Tia, I'm 
I, I, I didn't even know there, there was a season two of the Jack Ryan show on Amazon, but I will definitely check it out. I've been having fun making my way through Bad Blood. Producer Mark, have you taken my my advice on this one and tried Bad Blood on Netflix yet? I actually have a long flight coming up tomorrow, so I downloaded the first six episodes. Uh, there we iPad. go, buddy. Look at you, Producer Mark. Ready to go. Ready to, ready to make the magic happen. Yeah, I think you'll like it, man. So you'll have, when you come back from your trip, I know you're on vacay, you give us a... Uh, you give us your review. I think you'll. It's it's like Canadian Goodfellas in 2010. You know, it's it's pretty recent. All right, Monday you'll have my review. There we go. That's what I like to hear. Andy writes, Buck, love the show. Something nobody's talking about. Both the Dayton and Parkland assailants were both in the junior ROTC, both crazy and trained by our military industrial complex. These were sleeper cells. Uh, this is, uh, Andy, I didn't, I didn't see that. And I don't think that's true. I, I mean, I, I don't think that they were in ROTC. I'd have to check. Um, yeah, I don't think that's right. But I, if I am wrong, I will come back on and address it. All right. Um, James writes, it is no longer see something, say something because, because when you tell the authorities, they do nothing. I see. I say, see something, do something. If you see a crazy person with a gun out in the open, you can overtake them. Do it. If they're in the parking lot and loaded. Run them the heck over. It's better to have one person dead than a bunch of people dead. People need to stop having the leftists tell them what you can't do. Uh, waiting for help will not save your life. Shields high up in uh, WGY, New York. Yeah, by the way, guys, those of you who listen on local stations, I kind of like this. Write in your local station when you send me the message. You know, instead of writing like, you know, Bill, he, him, you could write Bill from Wisconsin, you know, blah, blah, blah station or whatever. So, you know, write the Bill from Austin on uh, KLBJ. You know, that would be fun. Uh, Jared writes, Buck, I'm disappointed you've come out in support of red flag laws. This is a total violation of due process. Jared, you know, I, I'm not really in favor of red flag laws, but I, I succumb like everybody else to a little bit of the desire to, well, can we, if we can't, if we're not going to really do anything, maybe we should at least have a conversation about what we could do and, and try to explore these things more fully. So, you know, I, I understand the concerns over red flag laws and due process. If I saw more instances of them being they're already in a bunch of states, I think about a dozen or so, maybe even I think it's either 12 or 17. Um, if there are cases where people have been. Um, you know, say that they, this has been abused, then I would like to know uh, where and the states that have them tend to be blue anti-gun states. So, yeah. I, I'm not I'm not a big red flag law supporter. Look, Trump is saying you guys can get mad at Trump. Don't get mad at me. He's saying he's into red flag laws right now. Uh, not that everything Trump thinks is a good idea by any stretch, but uh, I'm going to I'll give it some thought, my friends. I'll give it I'm 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 persuadable. I don't come here every day thinking that uh, I know absolutely everything and nothing ever changes. You know, I'm I'm somebody that's open to. Having my mind changed. What a wild and crazy thought that is. Ron writes, where are you located? Ron, I'm in the swamp, a.k.a. Washington, D.C. Hey, Buck, check out a discovery episode of River Monsters. They allow the host to fish the outlet of the cooling pond at Chernobyl. He was bitterly disappointed. The fish didn't have four eyes and two tails. It was hilarious. 
Yeah, Ron, I, I was somebody who really enjoyed some aspects of the Chernobyl miniseries on HBO, except that it greatly exaggerated the threat and the damage from the Chernobyl meltdown. I just didn't think that was necessary. I, I've explained this before. One of the biggest ones is radiation is not contagious. Well, that makes a huge difference. Imagine if somebody was irradiated and then every person they touch would also get irradiated and then, every, you know, and so on and so forth. Uh, and that's just one example. That's just one example of the bad science. Why do they have to go bad science on that show? Uh, it was disappointing. Christian writes, Buck, I love it when you appear on TV shows, but after about five minutes of watching the left ignore and attack everything you said, I had to switch it off. The smarmy attitude of Bill Maher made me sick. If he were a true host, he would be a devil's advocate and not just a mouthpiece for the left. Well, Kristen, I appreciate you uh, tuning in and, and supporting me. So there, there, there you have it. Um, here we go. Uh, Eric writes, Buck, there's a new issue where one segment overlaps the previous one. For example, last night's show at the 52, uh, you were saying goodbye to a guest, and then there was a segment that went over it. It's annoying, FYI. All right, well, producer Mark, fix it. I don't even know what he's talking about, but fix it. All right. Just, I'll get right on that. Yeah. Fix the overlap thing that's upsetting him. Ryan, Shields Highbuck, I make a living paving sidewalks, roads, berm, etc. This past Friday and today I was working in your alma mater at the Quadrangle. I have to say it's beautiful open green space with all the old oaks and the view of Mount Holyoke in the distance. On my way into the job and on my way off the job heading home, I blast your show so all the students and faculty get a little dose of truth and sanity. Thank you for all you do. Keep up the good fight. Uh, Ryan, it's good to know that someone's spreading the freedom up at Amherst College. Amherst College, which used to invite me to come speak when I was a CIA officer pretty regularly and has not, since I became a conservative, asked me to attend anything or go up there once. I guess that's just a coincidence. <sighs> frustrating, frustrating, but it is what it is. It's all right. The kids up there would be like, we hate you. You didn't really go to this school. You're a terrible person. I'd be like, yeah, shut your mouth. Sit down and learn something, college kids. It's about time you learn something for real. All right, that's going to be the show for today. I'm sad it flew by so quickly. It always flies by too quickly. But the good news is we have another one tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. Please, as I say to you, tell a friend to download this podcast. Somebody who likes conservatism and likes learning cool stuff. Say, hey, the Buck Sexton Show on iTunes. You'll thank me later. Shields out.